0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of 4 Guys in a Comic. This is your host, Rusty Surfer for the week, and I am here with Nova. Ola, And then I'm here with Tap. Hello. And I'm here with, as always, Red Skull. What's going on, Red?
1: Hey, hey, how's it going tonight?
0: Pretty good. So, we have an extra special interview at the end of this. That ran a little bit longer than we thought, but that's plenty fine because it was with the great guy serious stuff but we are not going to skip out on our fan poll for the week and this week i put it up and it was what comic character we should discuss that and i was kind of surprised on this i was actually worried at first because modok stilt and man. stilt man <laughs> were the number ones for a while and i was just like please do not let it be stilt man because there's gonna be nothing to talk about That's i like how too
1: I saw that. I was like, "Oh, come on, guys! Please, please be joking."
0: Now, yeah. but it ended up being someone else, and it, it, surprisingly, it's someone that um, at least Nova and Red Skull are ginormous fans of, yeah. and that is the man named Nova. And we're not talking about the four guy either.
2: No, no, so. we could we could sort of combine the two. Yes, <laughs> his alter ego. Yeah. Are you uh, Richard or are you Sam? Hey, sane? man, if I could be... I, I think I could pull off a good Richard Ryder. I think so. Yeah? I, I, got, I don't know. I don't know. I, I got I, to look I, for it.
1: What? Yeah, I don't know. It looks more like Sam Alexander to me.
2: Oh, All right. All, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. I could have passed on And that up. ends the round table. <laughs> that was time for the interview. <laughs> so, uh,
0: before we get into... The character himself. Like I said, you, Nova, and Red are really into the character. Oh, yeah. And Tap,
3: I guess we're just kind of familiar with the
0: character, I would say. Would you agree with me, yeah, Tap? Yeah, no,
3: I'm familiar. I mean, I, I'm aware of who Nova is and I and whatnot, but I have never I've never been big into Marvel Cosmic stuff, so I've never really read um, anything but Nova. But before we jump into Nova real quick, I just got to give a really, really quick shout-out because uh, I promised I would. To uh, combat camo from the line chats, um, as you guys know, he he had an extra an extra microphone laying around. Is this blue Yeti that he got with, by accident? And uh, needless to say, you dude, red and uh, rusty already had blue mm-hmm. Yetis, and uh, Nova's got a completely different setup that isn't even USB powered. <laughs> so <laughs> and I just powered. had my little like cheap fifty dollar Samson mic. Um. So, anyways, he offered it up. He said, "You know, I got this extra mic. It was, you know, here you go." And I offered to pay for shipping and everything, and he declined anything that I offered. So, uh, wow. thank you very much, Combat. I'm actually using the microphone now. Uh, hopefully, uh, you guys can hear a difference. But so, anyways, thank you. Just real quick, want to get that out of the way. All right, let's proceed. Nova, you sound so good. <laughs> oh my oh, god. Thanks.
1: Yeah, a lot clearer, a lot clearer. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Calm
3: down, Red
1: Skull. <laughs> <laughs> We're not to travel panel.
3: though, because this mic is a freaking monster, dude. Yeah, they, they are, are. They are. At least but you don't my, have to bring like a Samsung power box and, like, and all this other. Eat, crap. Well, yeah, yours to... <laughs> would be even more annoying because it's not USB powered. But
1: and believe it or not, there is an adapter that you can get to plug that into your phone. That's
3: pretty good. Cool. Mm. All right. Well, it's a monster. It's a freaking beast. Yeah. But I'm enjoying yeah. it. I really like it a lot. So, once again, thank you. I'm very, very excited. So, getting back into Nova, I gotta ask this first and foremost, um, to you especially, Tap, because
0: I feel like you, I, you probably know a little bit more about him than me, but I want you to explain in your own words, I do not want Red Skull or Nova to jump in and help you at all. What do you think are Nova's powers as a character?
1: Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs>
3: He has a magic helmet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I know, like, the dude can fly, obviously, and he, like, travels in space and whatnot. He's a galactic character. Um, but other than that, I re- like I said, I really don't know anything about Nova. I, I'm, I'm being completely honest and truthful when I say that. I don't I don't think I've ever... I tried reading the new Nova series, the one with Sam Alexander and Richard Ryder, where Richard Ryder came back from the Cancerverse or whatever, and like, I'm aware, like, he beat Thanos, went to the Cancerverse, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm aware of all that stuff. but um, So I tried reading that new Nova that just dropped, I think it was this year. Um, and I got a few issues in, but once again, I, I know nothing about this character. So I know the dude can fly, and he has a helmet, and he's kind of like the Green Lantern Corps, but they're called the Nova Corps. And so there's, like, a bunch of Novas. It's not necessarily just one Nova. And... Uh, he's got a big star on his chest I don't know I really don't know much about the guy or about the Nova Corps in general
0: okay so now I okay I'm going to agree with you I don't really know much about it either
3: I want Red Skull to explain he could like ride it on and be like yeah yeah I'm with you right there but I'm like I know nothing he's like crap I don't really know much either I gotta (laughs) sit here okay we gotta put it out there then I'm going to get to you, Nova,
0: so don't you jump in yet. But Red Skull, I want you to explain to us what are Nova's
1: powers exactly. Oh, he has so many powers. I'll go into some of them. I don't want to take everything away from Nova here. But um, I think one of the coolest things is that his suit itself is actually changing. He can change his suit to look like anything he wants um, in a way, like a camouflage. He can change it around, do everything he wants, but he's not allowed to. From the Nova Corps. The Nova Corps has a strict dress code, which um, limits him from being able to change his uniform around. Little unknown fact. Yes. So he can change his uh, suit however he wants it, but he's just not allowed to. But a lot of the stuff that he has is within his helmet. His helmet has so much stuff. A lot of cool stuff uh such as you know he's got all these sensors and things within it uh has like different communications if i remember correctly it can uh change uh what do you call it? calls like a translator for different languages lots of cool things um i can't remember every little one because there's just so many but i've always thought the suit itself was pretty cool
0: okay so nova what did he leave out
2: a lot of stuff. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, there is um, a lot of stuff. There, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, first and foremost, I'm just going to straight out say I've never read any of the like – I well, I've read some of it. Not all of it, though. I'm mostly like a – I don't want to say modern, newer uh, Richard Rider fans. So like Dan Abnett mm-hmm. stuff, um, starting with Annihilation, going into, you know, uh, what is it? War of Kings, mm-hmm. Realm of Kings, all that stuff. Uh-huh. But first yeah. and Well, foremost, Annihilation stuff is great. First and foremost, World Mind um, – those <laughs> world minds basically like the encyclopedia of, of the marvel mm-hmm. universe just like in richard rider's head he'll always tell him like yeah. all the facts he needs to know and all that stuff um yep it's like sort of like the alfred to batman but like a lot grander scope um he can travel like, like whatever like,
1: yeah between uh, like alfred but yet also like uh what's his face uh um
2: for iron man uh jarvis yeah, uh, jarvis yeah, yeah. yes yeah yeah Um, which is great. There's like they they sort of banter with each other too, which is kind of funny Mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, he can do like some weird warp space travel. Who knows? They're just sort of making these things up as they go, but he can go really fast. Um, (laughs) like if your car goes like his goes, you know, and um, but he's got make that noise one more time. he's (laughs) He's got like uh. You know, he's got all this stuff. But, I mean, it, it depends what time, I guess, you're talking about. There was a point where he had mm-hmm. all of the Nova Force to himself. And then there was a time where he had to split it up because they were recruiting new people. So, um, yeah. when he had it fully to himself, he was, like, fighting Galactus and Silver Surfer and stuff. So, I mean, he's a heavy hitter. Uh, dude's a heavy hitter. He's fighting Gladiator, guys like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. if That's just Richard Ryder. Sam Alexander's, like, um, you know, I, there's there's not much there, I guess, to really... There are many, very many feats there. He just sort of hangs out on Earth often and um, mm-hmm. just sort of getting to growing up. He's growing up. He's a kid. Yeah.
1: Because actually, a lot of this, when uh, Nova came out, his own series came out in nineteen 1979, if memory serves correctly. He was basically set up to be like Peter Parker peter parker pp richard rider rr they do things that are similar in that case he was in school he got his powers while he was in school he was trying to learn how to his powers while balanced having trying to have a job and having problems getting a girlfriend very very many similarities peter parker which they did on purpose because peter parker was a teenager that was very lovable and so they wanted to get that through rich rider as well
2: makes sense it guys, does make sense guys just really yeah. quickly came to my mind peter parker quinton choir richard rider that's pqr let's see if we can do the rest of the alphabet what do you guys think no, i'm kidding <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> but uh one like i say i know i've talked about this in the past i don't know how long ago it's been but uh one of the cool things you know mar wolfman the creator of uh, nova rich rider you know a lot of people credit the fact that he put it out in uh, Nova issue number one back in 69, uh, but actually it does go further back to uh, Super Adventures, which came out in his own little publication, 1966, which he created, you know, Nova character came out uh, Super Adventures number six, seven, eight, and nine. And eventually Marvel asked him to put the character in a book. Marvel owned the rights to it. Long story short, court case. Marvel lost the court case, lost the rights to the character he created, And doesn't get a dime from all of it today. (laughs) That's rough. It is rough. Very rough. rough. Yes. So,
0: I okay. I got to ask this uh, next. Um, Tap. Okay. Mm -hmm. What do you see in Nova as a character that you like?
3: It would help if I knew the character. <laughs>
0: well, from what you know, from what you know, oh, you like know. whether it's looks or it's, that he's a cosmic
3: character. What oh, okay, is- I see what you're saying. I thought you were asking like personality traits, and like, dude, I don't know. Um, he likes long walks on the beach. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Does he, yeah, does he? I don't know. Um, I do think that the design of the character is really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do like design. I like the helmet and everything. And I know. Okay, so. I kind of want to start diving into a little bit of the Marvel cosmic side of things. You know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not very familiar with mm-hmm. it. Uh, so I, I do kind of want to dive into it a little bit. So I think I've been, t- correct me if I'm wrong, but Annihilation is a decent starting point for someone that's new to the series, right? Or someone's uh, new to the yeah. cosmic world. Yeah, it's so yeah, so. I, yeah. Nicole, yeah, Annihilation, yes. So does, Nova has like a big part. To do with annihilation, right? Yeah, he's um yeah. well, like
2: the Nova Corps gets annihilated, basically. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's he's one of the only, maybe the only remaining one after annihilation. Yes, yeah. he was I the only. So. Yeah. even his this,
3: brother, his brother even died. I mean, yeah. Cause like, there's a well. There's a a uh, like a, a classic. I think it's on one of the covers. Maybe it's on the cover of the Omnibus or whatever. Where it's like Nova's, like you know, his helmet and stuff, and it's just like it just looks so amazing, and the artwork looks fantastic uh that i really want to check it out um and i think you know and Anni- if annihilation's a good starting point i'll, I'll dive into it you know like yeah. i'm starting to i don't know i'm branching out a little bit from my from my valiant and spider-man and we'll uh you know i kind of want to try a couple new things here i'm reading the new cable
2: that's actually hey, pretty look at you so being far. progressive and stuff, yeah.
3: right? <laughs> well, I can't, I can't. I had to get away from DC Rebirth and stuff. I mean, I'm reading that. I'm actually behind a little bit right now, but I kind of wanted to. I don't know. Hold on, hold on, more. hold on, hold uh, on.
0: So tell everyone. We're not going to get into the comic, but I just want everyone to hear this. Since Tap is valiant, gung ho. W- did you like Cable? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I did. Uh, I like Cable quite a bit. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's James Robinson. I'm I I like James Robinson's work, you know, on Airboy and and whatnot. So I'm Starman and what all those that he's done. Uh, I am a fan of his. So it's good. It's good. i um, It's definitely a lot more action than anything. Yeah. Like it's it's sort also of there's not a lot of in, so, correct yeah. correct. There's not a lot of writing per se. It's a lot more splash panels and here's action and but the premise of the story is cool and and i'm kind of excited to see where it goes
0: hell yeah so jumping back to nova now since we got the cable
3: out of the way so yeah nova looks cool i like his helmet and if you got the right artist it does look pretty dope that's about as far as i can tell you about what i like about the character well you know i gotta throw this in with nova okay there's seven
1: volumes of nova the first one is a classic, 25 issues, if memory serves correctly. It's a fairly decent read. Um, but if you really want to dive into it, issue, I mean, volume uh, four, I really enjoyed that. Went into the Annihilation stuff. But also volume five, when you introduced to Sam Alexander. I think that introduction to him and the storyline that went with it was just knocked it out of the park for Nova. It was really, really great read.
2: Yeah, when Jeff Loeb was writing, yeah, those were great issues. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he got yeah. off, it was sort of like... You could hear yeah, so, so. yeah.
0: So, okay. Since I asked Tap this, and because I know that you and Nova just have this strong, <laughs> burning passion for this character here, um, why do you like Nova so much, Red?
1: He's just a fun character. Like I said, it it kind of goes back to that character like Peter Parker. Why why does people like Spider-Man? Why is that Peter Parker? It's that the guy, Rich Rider, who's the down on his luck, fumbling, trying to make life and superhero balance work. Now, I gotta admit, the bad thing, the bad thing to Innova is his Rogues Gallery. I think he, he was given a really shitty Rhodes, uh, Rogues Gallery yeah. in the beginning of it. Um, it's built up a little bit better throughout the years, but it's nothing as cool as a lot of these other series. I mean, uh, what was it, Diamond Head? Uh, I remember some of the, these weird off the wall the sphinx uh <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah just <laughs> you these know? guys who
2: showed up for these handful of issues and never appeared ever again
1: yeah yeah that was, the, was but like i said it was just r- really enjoyable well written great powers uh between earth cosmic everything combined into it the the humor along with it all it's just i wish he had a better rogues gallery in the
2: end yeah which is why I think people sort of started liking him when he was like, oh, he's going up against Thanos. Cool, he's going up yeah. against the Nihilists. All right, there we mm-hmm. go. That makes sense. He starts yeah. going up against oh, he's all these characters. teaming up with the
1: Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. and he's fighting the, their enemies. Oh, yeah, a-
2: that's a- what... Adam Warlock's impressed with him. Wow, he must be a cool yeah. guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I you forgot know? about that.
2: It's um, it, That was sort of, again, I haven't read a lot, too much Richard Rider just because evidently there's really no reason to read him before before uh, annihilation and all that stuff i mean he he progresses a lot as a character which i think is obviously due to the writers but um which is why yeah. i sort of fell in love with him and and man when he him and peter quill go into that cancer verse to hold thanos off it just mm-hmm. how, how can you not love the guy after that it's just the yeah. most heroic moment um mm-hmm really great stuff and and yeah that's you know it, it it's it's like red said he's this character who everyone's sort of uh great like likes he's got a lot of friends he doesn't you know he's got a lot of g- deep friendships with um the new warriors of course where he uh he mm-hmm. was on their team for a while so he, he he's got that peter parker vibe to him but in space and um he's far more powerful yeah. of course he yes. could beat up spider-man yeah. guys Come on. And he, he could, and he's got a cooler suit. He's no, yeah,
1: no, no yeah. spandex. Exactly. But like I said, you know, you know how I like to collect stuff. I, I say I have every Nova issue. That's is something that I've never deterred away from. I have to have my Nova because he's just that cool. Yeah. So
0: you still own every Nova? Yes. Issue. Oh, Do you own like all like? I guess it's not that extensive to where it's like he pops up in a Spider-Man issue and you own that issue too, right?
1: No, but I have, I have dived into that a little bit here and there it's like okay i gotta get these issues because it's very heavy into uh into nova or actually believe it or not there is um some tie-ins between the amazing spider-man and nova where i had to have the um amazing spider-man issues because it was so heavy with nova and it all tied into with the continuity into the storyline
2: okay that's lovely. so
0: That is love. Yeah. So I got to ask you this then, Red, because I think you're going to maybe know more so the answer to this than uh, maybe Nova will. But um, what is up with the change in the look of the character Nova in the 90s? I know that, you know, it was a different time and we had our mullets and whatnot, but he looks kind of ridiculous in the 90s comics of Nova.
1: Well, yeah, I know he has that kind of that mulletish-looking thing going on in there, but I mean, if, that was volume two, if memory serves correctly. Is and it I, still and I cool? It was, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Nah. I mean, it, memory serves that lasted under twenty issues. It didn't last very long. It wasn't very great story writing or art. It was. It, it, was, it was a little bit 90s. of a letdown in the world of Nova. It was yes. The 90s. <laughs> yeah a lot of foil covers oh,
2: yeah.
0: that's rough i mean uh, we've done that pulling ads episode wherever i showed you uh mm-hmm. and you knew it when i was talking about the nova number yep. one where it looks like the helmet is like two feet tall basically and yeah. uh, it's ginormous but it looks ridiculous whatever so going forward into modern nova stuff uh, what do you think of what they're doing with the character now I mean, his series just got canceled basically yeah, it's, and everything else.
2: It's, so. hard to, it's hard to make a choice when there's only like six or seven issues. It's hard to come to a conclusion. You can't yeah, really... Six
1: issues. Yeah, it just...
2: Yeah, you can't tell a story yeah. like a good... The best comics that we've all <laughs> read last like 20 issues at least. Otherwise, at least. Mm-hmm. you don't you don't get that full climax. You don't get that full decline and all these subplots getting solved and stuff like that. Yeah. It's tough. But it's to,
1: like... Like I said, with Nova Volume 4, with, the, with that has the Annihilation arc, there was, I can't remember, maybe four or five different arcs within those 40-some issues. There's so much going on in that series. And you just really fall in love with it because even though there's so many different arcs, they all tie into together.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's a good time. So would y'all say, and this might be controversial to some people, um, would you say that the Nova core is basically the Green Lantern core?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But for Marvel.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Pretty much.
0: Y'all y'all are both sound like y'all are both like hesitant as That's hell funny. to say. Honestly, <laughs> like
2: at this point the Nova I've I, I fell in love with is like ten years old or something. So yeah, I mean it it's yeah. it's definitely identical. Yeah. Okay. So going Even- forward. Even even to the whole idea of they can change their costume into whatever they want within this color spectrum, within this Mm -hmm. like professional sort of core look, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even to that degree, it's identical. It's the same thing.
0: Okay. So for someone who is not into Nova, like me or Tap, um, you know, that just hasn't found the giddy up to just jump full in, what is a good starting point? To get into Nova or what is your favorite Nova story arc
2: let's start with Nova I mean I've I, I already mentioned it a thousand times annihilation annihilation <laughs> Annihila- annihilation just, conquest just erase mm-hmm. any other comics from your mind read everything Marvel cosmic from Annihilation through to War of Kings, it's like some of the best reading I've ever done in my life. It's It, it, it all connects. Like In War of Kings, they're showing Richard Ryder remembering a discussion he had with Peter Quill in Annihilation. It's amazing. Um, that's number one for me,
3: for yeah. sure. Very cool. What about you, Red
1: Skull? I mean, it's the same thing. You know, Annihilation and the Annihilation turns into Secret Invasion. And those story arcs, put it all together it was just amazing amazing read and you just can't put it down I, I just remembered you you binge read the entire thing in an evening you know you you just cannot put it down it's just that good And you got and you got all this cosmic stuff going on you got silver surfer and galactus and you know just you name it anybody cosmic is there <laughs> and i and a, and Rusty, I can't believe you haven't read it yet as much as I know you like these characters in the cosmic universe.
0: Oh, I started reading uh, Annihilation. I got through um, all of the uh, prelude tie-ins, and then I actually uh, stopped when uh, it got into the main story. So I read the one through four of Nova, the one through four of mm -hmm. Surfer, the one through four of Ronin, um, and so on and so forth. And then when I actually got into it, I got caught up on something else. But now it looks like... Uh, well, I guess we we can still read Marvel stuff, but um, yeah, uh, it's something I haven't finished. It's something that's interesting, but I'm also the guy that hasn't finished Infinity in itself yet, and that's mm-hmm. surprising on its own. So,
1: yeah. And there's like I said, there's a lot of surprises and changes and things that go on. Like I said, I, I've you know I mentioned it earlier. You know, Rich Rider's brother uh, becomes you know into the Nova Corps, and then everybody you know then they're all. You know, take residence inside of uh,
2: oh, ego. Was it ego? ego.
1: Think yeah. ego. Yeah, in ego's head. Great. You, know, it, it was, you know, it was. You know, it's just there's just so many amazing, amazing things going on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I, just, I I got to chill just thinking about it. It's like, I got to go reread it now.
0: <laughs> okay, so since y'all both unanimously decided on Annihilation, um, if someone wanted to read something older than Annihilation, what is a good good Nova story from maybe the
1: 90s, the 80s? Uh, pick up the original issue number one yeah. from 1976, 79, something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. Just go all 76. the way back. Yeah, just start with number one. Yeah? Yeah.
2: I think think he was on hiatus for a while. He just disappeared from the universe for a little bit.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was.
2: Our New Warriors as well, he was in that, um, Mm -hmm. like Namorita and all of them. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, something that always amazed me was that he didn't play like a big role or anything in like Infinity Gauntlet or Infinity War. (laughs) He was there, but like
2: he just sort of flew around. (laughs)
0: That is the truth. I I know. If if we still had our Infinity... Maybe it still is, Red. You might be able to... Our Infinity Gauntlet episode from way back in year one of uh, Four Guys in a Comic. Uh, We made that comment so many times that it's like, oh, there's Nova flying by in the background doing something.
2: Yeah. So during Infinity Gauntlet, he's just flying around in like... I don't remember if it was War of Kings. He's literally trapped thanos in the cancer verse it's like look how far look how far these writers have taken this character it's great mm-hmm. but yeah he's uh he was pretty useless before annihilation to be honest didn't do much
1: okay yeah and he is just one character i don't think has been utilized his full potential in the marvel universe yeah for whatever reason and i don't know why they could do so much with him
2: well like I mean I I've been reading some Valentino Guardians of the Galaxy and we've all read like older stuff. I don't know, it's just the cosmic Marvel cosmic universe is not the same anymore. I'm sorry. No Ben just dipped his fingers in and um It came out stinking. Things just became poopy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just not... I was gonna Except for Silver Surfer. that still got the cosmic vibe yeah. to it, but for the most part, like the classic, the foundations of Marvel Cosmic, I guess, Fantastic Four are completely gone. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. are like, who? Uh, they're just, they're getting tied into events. They don't need to be tied in, they're in space. They are they have the <laughs> whole universe. Why are they tied into this event? Stop. There's enough heroes. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's not the same yeah. anymore.
1: No. Yeah, yeah, now. I, I, no, really, Marvel needs a really decent reboot of what they're doing somebody to come in shake things up and say guys let's get back to the basics bring back ff and have things the way they're supposed to be yeah
0: i will say this though um nova did you ever end up reading that thanos
2: uh trade or whatever no i didn't i Ah. um, was unable to
0: well, I will say this. If, uh, you know, if you're having your doubts about the new Guardians of the Galaxy stuff and whatnot, um, that Thanos trade has no- nothing to do with anything else. In, ju- in They're called Marvel Cosmic, but it has nothing to do with anything Secret Empire or anything else that's going on. It's completely free range, and it's more of a team book than a Thanos book. I'm going to say that right now. It's turned from Thanos just being mopey and dying to... He's on the first time I've ever seen him on, like, an official team that makes sense. That's doing something good rather than let me just kill everybody. So, yeah, it, it, it's different change. Um, that's why I was trying to tell you. You should definitely read it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it may – maybe even you too, Red Skull. Maybe it'll uh, take over your uh, Nova fix since you're not getting it.
1: <laughs> maybe. Maybe.
2: Maybe. 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 So maybe. That maybe
0: yeah well um, I think my final question for this uh, Nova Nova based podcast is going to be um, in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 they portray- the movie they portrayed the Nova Corps uh, what y'all think about that whenever you saw that in the movie
1: oh I saw that and I was just I wet my pants I was like oh my god this is awesome please let there be a Nova movie coming out someday soon <laughs>
2: Uh, I didn't like the the whole spaceship aspect. I mean, their whole point in yeah. the movie was to be a net. That's it. <laughs> it didn't even, that didn't even hold together. Whatever. Yeah. It's it's fine that they even made an appearance. I'm happy with it. I mean, again, yeah. I mentioned the Valentino Guardians of the Galaxy. The way they're being portrayed is not my favorite either. They're just sort of like these mm-hmm. old retired guys. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And, uh mm-hmm. That's why I've I've got my comics to keep me company. Yeah. I can keep reading Annihilation and it'll still yeah. be as good as it was.
1: <laughs> but I yeah. will say I will say this, you know, when you're talking about when we don't have Nova to read, what our fix is, and I can pretty much say, you know, in confidence for Nova and I that our fix when not reading Nova is reading Invincible yeah. because they 100%. are so much alike.
2: Hundred mm-hmm. <laughs> percent.
1: That is that that gets me by. I mean, it really, and when you think, when you read Invincible, that is the way Nova should have always been and been made.
2: Yeah, Rusty.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well,
0: shame on me, apparently. No,
2: no, no. That's okay. <laughs> There's no good. purple guys in Invincible. Actually, Alan's purple. Never mind.
0: Yeah. Yes. Alan's <laughs> never Alan mind, is man. really cool. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well,. We are going to be wrapping this up, and we're going to give someone a special call, someone who has done anything from Amazing Spider-Man to Thor to everything else, Superman even in the 90s with a Mm -hmm. bullet. So we're going to give Ron Frenz a call real fast, and we'll see you soon. guys welcome back to another interview portion of four guys in a comic and this week we have comic extraordinaire ron friends what's going on ron
4: not much alex it's wonderful to be here with you
0: hey it's wonderful to have you i mean what an honor i mean just the amount of stuff you've done it's like we're not worthy right
4: (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that it's completely untrue And, yes, my my, uh, legendary status comes from having actually just shown up for (laughs) 30-some years, and uh, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be considered a part of people's nostalgia for their childhood or, you know, nostalgia for the work. And uh, it's very flattering and very humbling, and uh, thank you very much for having me.
0: Awesome. So I want to kind of kick it off. You know, you're speaking about being a part of people's childhood and stuff. But what were comics to you in your childhood? Or did you get on into comics later on in life?
4: No, no, I was uh, I have a brother three years older and the oldest comic that he and I can remember having around the house. I just recently rebought for myself uh, as a little nostalgia for myself. And it was a 1964 comic of uh, World's Finest uh, with, a, with a particular cover that we remembered very clearly was Superman and Batman. And uh, no, it, looking at it again and seeing it was from 1964, I only would have been four years old in
3: 1964.
4: So I'm sure it was around the house longer than that. But, uh, you know, from that early on, I was fascinated with comics and comic art. And uh, from the time I was anywhere between six and eight. If After I discovered Spider-Man around uh, 67, 68, if you asked me what I wanted to do, when I grew up, it was work for Marvel Comics and draw Spider-Man. So yeah. I was pretty directed from a very young age and very much in love with comics and, and that type of storytelling and the artwork and all that kind of stuff, sure. I was
2: just going to say, you've, um, you've definitely almost touched every single character that um, that I really know of or, or hold dear. I was just wondering, are there any characters looking back that you um, actually didn't get to draw that you wish you did?
4: I, I would have loved, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, pretty much any character created before 1968, I would have loved to have. <laughs> and, and I've, and I've, even those, uh, as you said, uh, I hope we mean in a non-creepy way, I have touched them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because I, you know, you don't want to touch Captain America in any any way other than non creepy.
2: Whatever but, you did with your pensions, uh, I would have loved is to your have business.
4: <laughs> no, 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 no that's not creepy too. No, I, uh, I would have loved to have done a run on Cap. Uh, you know, even preferably with Tom DeFalco. I, I would have really enjoyed having a shot at the Fantastic Four. Um, mm, yeah. You know, also preferably with Tom. Because he and I are very simpatico into what makes a good comic book. Uh actually when we got Thor from uh Ralph editor Ralph Macchio, we were actually kinda of pushing to get Daredevil. Daredevil was coming up for grabs. And uh we had we did the first two fill ins that we did for Thor hoping they were auditions to get Daredevil. <laughs> and when uh, uh so when Ralph said, Yeah, I would like you to do a book for us, DeFalco went Daredevil, right? And he went, actually I'd love you to stay on Thor and and uh, Falco wasn't sure he was right for Thor. But you know, Ralph pointed out, You just did these two fill ins, they were great. I'd really I could really use your help on Thor, so we ended up doing Thor. I didn't have the same reservations that Tom did, uh, about being on Thor, but then again he's the one that has to do the Shakespearean dialogue and all that kind of stuff, so uh but you know, that's how we ended up on Thor. We were actually kind of auditioning for Daredevil, so Oh, but, yeah, there's any any character like that. I, I love the vision, uh, you know, so a run on the Avengers would have been cool, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the things I didn't get to do because there was so much that I did get to do. And you're not going to talk to anybody who has enjoyed their time at Marvel and their time in comics as much as I have. I, I'm still having a great time. I'm still managing to find somebody to pay me to do <laughs> – comics these days i'm working for a you know a, a young guy who's uh, starting an indie project and uh, is going to launch a, a line of books next year sometime and i'm helping him create characters and and i'm doing stories for him but uh as long as as long as i can make a living drawing these characters and hopefully telling stories then i'm as happy as a clam you know
0: for sure i mean I, I got to say, ask this then because you've done so much, and I want to get into you and Tom here eventually, especially with some of your amazing Spider-Man stuff and whatnot. But uh, how did you actually get your foot in the door when it came into the uh, comic book business?
4: Okay, uh, I, as I said, I was very, I was directed very early on. So my last two years of high school, I took a VOTech course in commercial art, uh, and I had a terrific instructor there that that made me realize that, uh, you know, anything that I did from then on, I should really entertain other avenues because comics can be very specific. So he kind of broadened my perspective a bit. So I did two years at the Art Institute. I had won a half scholarship, so one year was paid for. So I did the two years at the Art Institute. And during that time, Exploring When we were doing fashion illustration, I completely put my comics aside. When we were doing life drawing, I completely put my love of comics aside. And I did experiment and find other avenues that that I could possibly pursue professionally just as a more general commercial artist if necessary. But I never lost my love or my intention to try to get into comics. So I did up some sample pages. Jim Shooter, who was uh, editor-in-chief of Marvel at that time, which would have been around... Uh, 81 82 was uh, he's also from Pittsburgh he was doing a shop appearance at a local shop and uh, some of uh, some of my classmates from the art uh, program and myself we took some samples done and took the opportunity to show him some samples because he was very uh, very open to that and very giving that way and uh, looked over my samples and I left at the shop that day as he left he said when you and I will be talking And I'm like, oh, wow, great. So he told me to send these same samples I showed him into Marvel. I did. Unfortunately, you know, at that point, I I tried to contact Marvel once or twice to see what the status was of it. And if you told anybody at Marvel you were calling Jim Shooter about a job, it was like, well, I'm afraid he's not here. He's on a long trip around the world, and you can't speak to him. Uh, So it was about a year in in which I took a job with a, a local animation house. Uh, but at the end of about a year, I got a call from Al Milgram, who handed the phone to Louise Jones at the time, who was now Louise Simonson, and they wanted to talk to me about doing those Kesar fill-ins that, uh, that I did for Marvel, that were some of the first things that I did for Marvel. Uh, and they kind of throw you in on the deep end. You just kind of start drawing and and meet deadlines and go from there. So uh, I, I stayed at the animation studio for the next, I guess it was about two years, because I think the cover date on the, my first KSR was eight, sometime in 83. And I was offered Spider-Man, I think in like 85. So I stayed with the uh, the animation studio, working nine to five at the animation studio and doing, at times, a couple of books for Marvel. Uh, I did Kesar I did a couple of issues of indiana jones i did star wars i did marvel team up i did a couple of uh, fill-ins on different things um all of which came before uh, they asked me if i was interested in doing spider-man which of course i was and uh, so it was at the point that they offered me spider-man that i quit at the animation studio and went full-time into comics so that's pretty much how i how I got there and, and ended up on Spider-Man, which is the way it's supposed to work. Uh, uh, Spider-Man appeared in some of the KSR work I did. That got me Marvel Team-Up, which you know kind of put me in line and put me, you know, made me, uh, helped me get familiar with the character and and uh, kind of put me in the bullpen as a possibility for uh, for Spider-Man. Uh, I had I think I had done like a Peter Parker fill-in, uh, the Marvel Team-Up material and The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man before I was actually awarded the series as a regular. So, And initially it was only going to be for six issues. Uh, John Romita Jr. was leaving Spider-Man uh, to go start X-Men, but he was only planning to be gone for like six months, and he was going to get X-Men up and running and on schedule and then do both Spider-Man and X-Men, if you can believe it. And uh, at the end of the six months... Uh, he had a conversation with Danny Fingeroff, where you know, Danny was very happy with what was going on between Tom and I, and thought we were really gelling as a team, and and uh, told Ramita that he was happy with what we were doing, but we were going to stick with the deal. Uh, but uh, Jr. at that point said, you know, he's he's got plenty of work on X Men, and uh, you know, let him have it. And uh, when I first. Got to meet Jr. at a convention. I thanked him for my run on Spider-Man.
2: You know, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. Um, I know Rusty's a, a huge fan of your uh, yours and Tom's work on Spider-Man. He would almost daily rave about some new panel, some new joke he read, or some new piece of artwork. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely a memorable uh, time in Spider-Man's, I guess, continuity.
4: I. I you know, we we loved it. I mean, I never wanted to leave Spider-Man. That that's all, you know, tales from the Marvel bullpen, BS. But uh, you know, we were relieved of our of, of that title. But uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. I mean, Defalco and I would have long discussions about who Peter Parker is, was, and uh, and the the supporting cast and everything, and really saw ourselves as, as stewards of the character for however long we were fortunate enough to be on it. And uh, it it was great fun. It's a terrific character. There's so much that can be done with that character. And there's so much affection for that character, which I'm, I'm really happy to see a new generation uh, of people reacting with the popularity of Homecoming, uh, it, it's wonderful to see that young people are really identifying with Pete again, because they so successfully did the high school vibe and everything for the new movie. Uh, they, 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 this character can, you know, can do so much and and be so relatable. I'm happy to see him being used that way. I'm happy to see the character being treated that that way that made him so original and made him uh, you know originally made him so popular so but yeah it was a lot of fun i i've had a great deal of fun in my comics career it, if it's not fun for us then it can't be fun for the reader and uh if nothing else um uh, defalco and i have always had fun working together
0: uh, just kind of, cause I'm curious because you and Tom have done so much stuff together. Uh, how did y'all's relationship start?
4: We well, he first he hired me uh, on Team Up. Uh, he was the Spider-Man editor that hired me for Marvel Team Up, and I was mostly most of the work I had done up to that point, if not all of it, but certainly most of it was out, out of Louis Simonson's office with Danny Fingeroff uh, as her assistant. And they were fantastic to work for, but I you know i we would only every so many issues because of the the pressures of producing monthly comics. It was only every so many issues that I would get you know feedback that and I would have to ask for it, you know because their attitude was kind of if you're not hearing from us, that's a good thing <laughs> but I was really looking for feedback and I wanted to get better and I wanted to improve and I wanted to know what the, you know, what they were looking for and what I wasn't giving them and, and all that kind of stuff. So one of the first conversations I had with the Falco, when he called me as an editor to offer me team up, he says, I'm going to warn you up front. I'm a pain in the ass to work for. Him. And I went, Oh, wow. How so? <laughs> and now I'm a, now I think that that would have been my, I think my first conversation with him. And I I said, how so? And he said, well, I, you know, I, I know what I'm looking for. And, uh, I, I look at, I look at it as my duty to, to make you better. And then you make me look good and all this. And I said, I said, I gotta be honest with you, sir. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, I said, you've, you've come to the right place because I am not afraid of feedback and I, I want to get better. Um, the first time we met, which I'm assuming was after I'd already been working for him, I'm pretty sure that's the case, uh, he came and did a, a show here in Pittsburgh along with uh, Jackson Geis, who back then we just called him Butch. And uh, we went all the three of us went out to dinner and just had you know, a terrific conversation, as you do, about what kind of comics you like and what your connection to comics is and stuff. And it came out in that conversation that DeFalco and I were you know, very fond of the same types of comics. We we liked what the you know, the innovations that Stan Lee had uh introduced with Marvel Comics and we were both Marvel fans and we, we liked the same kind of comics. And uh so working with him as an editor, you know, he was. He was he gave you a lot of uh input. He would make suggestions for the next time if you know, if if not asked for corrections and things like that. And uh, so I worked for him on Team Up and uh, Team Up Annual and things like that. Now, around the time we were hired for Spider-Man, Tom was transitioning from editor of the Spider-Man titles to executive editor under Shooter. And Danny Fingeroth was going to become the new Spider-Man editor, taking over from DeFalco. And he, so he was now going to be the editor of the Spider-Man titles. And, of course, I had worked with Danny under Danny, as louise simonson's assistant on Kesar and the indiana jones villains i did and star wars and all that kind of stuff so he and i were very familiar so at the time that the falco was leaving he had been planning on giving me the kid who collects spider-man but because of the transition it would be danny's final decision and tom told me at the time he said i, I don't know whether you'll get the kid who collects Spider-Man or whether you'll get the final, final chapter of this Thunderball story we've been doing. Uh, but my plan was to give you the kid who collects Spider-Man. I don't know what Danny's going to do. And Danny stuck with that, and that's how I got the kid who collects Spider-Man. So that was the first thing I did out of the Spider-Man office uh, coming off of Team Up. So, Did I answer your question? Yeah. That's but yes, that's how I got together with the Falco and that's how the Falco and I ended up a team was Danny Fingeroth doing on uh, on Spider-Man. Very cool. Wow.
0: Coming from you doing so much in the 80s and then how comics, I guess, changed in the 90s. Um, do you have a take on what you saw the differences were from when you started to, I guess, even going to now? What are some of the biggest differences in comic books that you've noticed and that you've had to progress through over the years?
4: Well, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And it's a little hard for me to answer because it's a little hard for me to be objective about my own work and about how it relates to what was going on at the time. Uh, because, I mean, through the 90s, we were doing things like Thunderstrike and Spider-Girl and everything. And, and I think most people would agree that uh, a lot of the work we were doing was still appealing to readers who had been around before the 90s. The biggest thing with the 90s was the the market, the the burgeoning comics market, based on the collector frenzy. And believe me, DeFalco was one of these guys that was telling everybody... Let's not go crazy here, because this just happened to the the card market. The card market had gone into this insane collector frenzy, and everybody made a lot of money in a brief time, and then it collapsed like a son of a bee. Uh, and he was trying to tell anybody that would listen, this is this is what's going to happen to comics if we don't try to control it. But everybody from the people above him to everybody below him just wanted to, you know, again comics kind of had this attitude as an industry of kind of being the red-headed stepchild, and look everybody loves us you know that kind of thing so they it, it just went nuts i mean the chrome covers and the all that crap and it was it was a lot of noise that had that had nothing to do with how solid the content was you know it was all about launching new number ones and uh, the image guys were very popular at the time, so everybody was trying to do the image stuff. And and I I think if you look at the work that we were doing, we were actually kind of trying to hold the line on solid storytelling and supporting casts and secret identities and and a lot of the traditional storytelling tools uh, to the point that we would get letters on Thunderstrike where people were going, you guys are geniuses. This whole thing with subplots and supporting casts is incredible, as if we had invented it. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, we no. <laughs> it's, it's been, been around decade. for a decade, yeah. and we're just trying to keep the wheel spinning, you know, that kind of thing. So we were actually very, you know, uh, intent on – not giving in to the ultra-violence or uh, the, you know, death for the sake of a sales bump and all that kind of craziness. So we were always, you know, we were kind of proud of the throwback nature of the work we were doing, even on Spider Girl. You know, we had a, a kind of a niche audience that was solid, and we went for like 12 or 14 years because we never lost sales uh at marvel when they do a new number one they have somebody do a you know uh, a a, a kind of a a prediction arc of how the sales are going to go and we always defied that sales arc um they you know it it always went like over six issues you're going to you know, by the end of six issues, you're going to be down to cancellation numbers. So just get prepared. And then they would get to like five or six issues down, and they'd say, "Well, wait a minute, you're you're holding steady, so you're not following the arc." And that's why we kept getting canceled and uncanceled and everything on Spider Girl. Uh, but you know, there was no denying that we had we had a uh, loyal audience, but it was a niche audience. And and but they kept us going for you know 13, 14 years which we're very grateful for and we had a great fun doing that character as well but so the whole thing with the 90s was kind of like happening somewhere else you know i mean we would i think one of the bigger <laughs> concessions we made to the whole 90s thing was the we had like the, the photo foil lightning on the cover of Thunderstrike number one. <laughs> and that was left up to us how we wanted to do We had to do something, but what would did we want to do? And Defalco and I kind of huddled about it. And, and I said, I'm uh, I'm all for just, can we just do that on the lightning there and kind of not be stupid about it? And he went, that sounds good to me, but it had like a cardstock cover and things like that. Uh, but beyond that, we managed to, to kind of dodge that stuff. Unfortunately, uh, Thunderstrike was canceled again, not because of sales, but because of uh, Ron Perlman's people—not the actor, but the uh, the fragrance magnate uh, who was in uh, who owned Marvel at the time. Uh, Defalco was actually still editor in chief, and he went to a meeting where one of Perlman's people came in and said, "This is this is the new idea." to make Marvel uh, healthy and strong again, you know, as, as the, uh, the collector's bubble was, was bursting. They were going to, they, the guy sat down and he said, here it is. If we cancel half the line, the half that's left will sell twice as well. (laughs) And Tom thought he was kidding and laughed. And DeFelco will tell you to this day, that's, when he was marked for termination. <laughs> so that's when they, he knows yeah. that's when they decided, well, we've got to fire this guy, because he thought it was a joke, and he tried to explain to them, this is not cans of beans. If you cancel a kid's favorite comic, he's not necessarily just going to turn to another comic and buy another comic. He may spend that money on a soda and a slice of pizza. You know, yeah. th- these aren't completely interchangeable, Collector item things, you know. I mean, so that's not a smart idea, but because they owned the company, that's what they did, and that's why Thunderstrike and War Machine and uh, Force Works and a lot of books that were spinoffs that were selling that were doing fine were canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the reasoning at the time was cancel Thunderstrike because we're not going to cancel Thor. Thor's been around since the 60s. Ironically, just another couple of years down the road, they canceled Thor as part of the Heroes Reborn thing with the Image Guys, mm-hmm. which, believe me, it was it was close enough to the cancellation of Thunderstrike, where there was no thought of not canceling Thunderstrike in favor of Thor, that it pissed me off. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, at the time, nobody's going to cancel Thor. Okay, I can accept that, but then... You know, a year and a half down the road, you cancel Thor. That was a little tough to swallow. But uh, what are you going to do? The past is the past.
2: Yeah, it was definitely a strange time in comics. We were talking about, you mentioned subplots earlier, and um, we were talking about that throughout the week. I've been reading some of the older Mark Grunewald, Captain America stuff, where he's trying to become a comic penciler in the comic itself, um, and he's submitting his work to Marvel. And it's like, this is great. You get two or three pages of this kind of thing, you know, cap trying to make money, make ends meet, and um, it, it, it's very different how much comics have changed. I mean, the '90s were just like complete. It was how many punches can you throw in one in one comic book?
4: And, it was it was very different. It was yeah. because so many of the books weren't even being read.
2: It was just looked at, and yeah.
4: the ones that were being flipped through uh, yeah. in favor of this kind of new audience that really just liked the pinup panels and everybody standing around dramatically. The just standing around stuff drives me crazy. <laughs> Because even today, they still just stand around a lot. Yeah. And it's like, you know, can't have them doing something, for God's sakes. I mean, even if you're going to have a talking head sequence, I, why? It, it, comics is a visual medium. I mean, Stan and Jack used to do what you know used to do talking scenes but they were always doing something that's why they invented the danger room that's it you know yeah. they invented the danger room so the x-men could be doing something while they were talking about stuff you know mm-hmm. and Go that's clear. the kind of stuff we would do have them doing something while they're talking not just talking and yeah. that's your responsibility as a storyteller you know even on tv they rarely just have people sitting and talking they're folding laundry or they're like in the avengers movie uh in age of ultron cap and tony one of the best scenes in the movie is they're chopping wood and they're able to use the wood when you know when steve tears the one stump apart and everything to accentuate and uh and and put an exclamation point on the conversation they're having and you know so so have them do something visually interesting while they're talking that's what comics are they're not radio scripts it's not a radio play it's a visual medium be visual
2: yeah it's very true uh, one thing i do like about your artwork a lot and i don't know if this is the other guys feel this way but i'm a huge um i'm a huge background nerd for whatever reason i love it when backgrounds are panels because it means there is that extra effort to do something that the artist really doesn't necessarily want to do um so I do appreciate that and um I think that has well, it's, also to do it's disappeared. part of the story.
4: I appreciate that, but it's it's part of the story. Right. I mean uh ideally, you know, I'm also a big fan of uh the impact lines and the, you know, the whatever you want to call them, whack marks, whatever you want to call them <laughs> and and uh the 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 language of comics, you know, the seeing the 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 motion lines on a a swing for a punch and things like that, you know, which often aren't done anymore. But those are things that I felt shouldn't have been lost because they were a part of the language of comics that really helped the dynamics and, and helped storytelling. And for me, it's all about the storytelling. And you have to, as part of the storytelling, you have to establish the environment that the character is in. Now, once you've established that environment you can drop a couple of backgrounds along the way, you know, for a close up or, or some such, but or you can identify certain elements to keep yourself grounded in wherever you're supposed to be. But yeah, I mean, being part of these days I don't see that as being too much of an issue. I mean, the guys that are drawing the books now, one of the reasons they can't hit a monthly schedule is because the artwork is so overly detailed and and and, in my humble opinion, overly colored to the point where it's very dark, and the painted covers I think read very very dark and uh i I don't think that's a good thing i but we also don't have the concerns that we used to have of grabbing the eye from the newsstand that we used to have. I mean most comic shops are just subscription services with brick and mortar and I don't think it's much of a concern anymore to do a cover that's going to jump out from the rest of the covers and grab somebody's attention, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, when, when we were doing it, we were concerned with those the staples and, and, you know, uh, main tent poles of what comics were and comic storytelling and, uh, One of the things I've said a few times that I think sounds a little grandiose, and I don't mean it to sound that way, what we were doing back in the 80s is much closer to what these storytellers are doing at Marvel Productions now with films, because you're trying to entertain as large an audience as possible. I don't really think that's the ethos that's going on with comic publishers today. They know they have this audience that's already there, and there is a lot of preaching to the choir going on. Uh, they're not available everywhere. You know, they're not out in drugstores and and uh, things like that, like they were when I was a kid or like they were still in the 80s. We still had Spinner X in in, in in mass market outlets when, when I was working in the 80s, and I'm thankful that I got a chance to enjoy that. Um, so you were still worried about what was on a calendar, what was on the cover, and what could attract a reader's a potential reader's interest, and such. Um, I, I don't think they think that way anymore. They don't have to think that way anymore, because people go to comic book stores, and uh, you know people read things online, and and I it's it's not the mass market industry that it was when I got in in the 80s. Uh, the films still are. The films are still trying to entertain the largest cross-section of people as possible and that's what we were trying to do uh, so in that way you know it's it's very similar uh, to what they're doing with the films not so similar to what they seem to be doing in the comics because these days I, you know it's almost impossible to pick up a comic and and start i, I mean i yeah. know people are still doing it i'm glad people are still doing it to one degree or another but the sales aren't really showing that we're increasing our readership. Right. We may be increasing our demographic a little bit, but I, we're not increasing our readership from what I'm seeing from the numbers from Marvel uh, these days. So, you know, I mean, back in the day, twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 were cancellation numbers.
2: Yeah, it's um, there's a lot of misleading number ones out there now, too, that sort of yeah. get the sale for the first one, and then people are extremely confused and basically never... Pick up number two, um, so well, it's it, it,
4: it, there are a lot of books like the Avengers. I don't know what the hell. Oh, you yeah. see, when I go to a comic book store now, <laughs> if I wanted to start reading Avengers, there's all these different miniseries and everything. I have no idea what's what. <laughs> I I picked up the last few issues of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, recently because I wanted to see what Stu Ditman was doing because God can that guy draw? That's great. And that was one mm-hmm. of the books I was talking about that I, I found the coloring very dark and I and I found the they're Alex Ross covers, for crying out loud, but they're very muddy and very dark, and I, it just made me pine for the old days when, you know, <laughs> comics had comic book art on the covers and they were brightly colored, and, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things I enjoyed about Homecoming was, oh, look, he's bright, and it's at daytime and things. <laughs> so, uh, I and I there were a few times that I was just heartbroken that Stu Immeman's line work was all lost in the coloring, yeah. you know, but that's, you know, those are the opinions of an old man who, you know, I'm 50, 57 and, and I've been in the industry 30 some years, which is why Marvel and DC aren't knocking down my door anymore.
1: So. Well, let me ask you this, Ron, if you were in charge right now and you could do it any way you want, how would you do it?
4: Well, I, I will start by saying I have never been a businessman, and one of the things I've always tried to avoid—I've never got into self-publishing or anything—because I'm, I'm always more willing to take other people's money and let other people take the financial <laughs> risk. But uh, the first, you know, I would, I would certainly—that's the first thing I would do artistically—is I would brighten things up. Mm-hmm. I would bring—I think I would bring back to some degree the the logos, being more. Different and and distinct, I would work behind the scenes as hard as possible mm-hmm. to find a format that would be feasible to get these characters in print back into the mass market. Mm-hmm. Because at a time when the visibility and recognizability of these characters is at its apex, you know, where everybody on the street knows who Iron Man is, for crying out loud. You know, the idea that you have to go to a comic book store to, to find comics is one of the problems I mean I know they have 1-800-COMIC-BOOK-STORE and all that kind of jazz to find your local but you're asking do you know of any other industry any other entertainment form that requires an effort from the audience to find the material
2: yeah I mean there's, there's digital yeah. but it's not the same as getting that uh, that physical book no. in your hand yeah, it's...
4: No, I mean they're they're expecting their audience to go. You know, I really want to be a comic book fan.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
4: I'm going to call one eight hundred comic shop and find a comic book store and start a new hobby. <laughs> I mean, who does that? Yeah. I, it, it doesn't work that way, you know. I mean, I I might never have gotten into comics if I would have had to have been that proactive to find the thing.
2: Yeah. I think that's why graphic novel and trade paperback sales are going up too, just because they can go to their Barnes and Nobles or, or, you know, anywhere that sells books really and and run into a a comic book there.
4: And unfortunately, poor bookstores, you know, are falling by the wayside like crazy. Mm, Brick and Warner bookstores are really taking it in the nuts too. So, you know, that's not, that's not a fix, you know, because they're, they're unfortunately having their own problems. Yeah and uh you know that's the thing we didn't leave we weren't kicked out of the mass market we left on our own for, yeah. for for the for the smell of a better deal because when when we went direct sales the books were no longer returnable the uh you know they they were you could print the order to some degree but the books that they ordered they had to keep because they were willing to keep back issues in stock and all that kind of stuff so it wasn't like dealing there was a benefit at least in the short term, of dealing with direct sales retailers rather than dealing with mass-market retailers, plus the fact other magazines were coming up in price faster around comic books, so a lot of mass-market dealers were better off using that space for a higher-ticket magazine than for comics, which is why I'm talking, it's all, it, has to be a, it has to be a format issue, too to get back out into the mass market. I mean, MC2, I don't know if you guys know this, but the whole MC2 line was originally they wanted three titles that were going to go into those old three-packs that were going to go into some mass market chain, whether it was Sam's Club or whether it was Walmart's or whatever it was going to be. The original plan for MC2, the reason that it was a next generation of heroes and they were mostly younger and we were hoping to, you know create that next generation of comic fan was through a mass market three-pack outlet thing that was going to be, you know, a a return to the mass market. Now, the problem was we produced the books, but the sales department never closed a deal with the mass market distributor. So those books were never intended to survive in the direct sales outlets spider girl did to its credit but the other books the fact that the other books were only around for like six months at a time though you know or a year that was the original plan because the titles were going to alternate in the three packs you know we were going to do a year's worth of one title and then do a year's worth of another title and they would feed the three packs in different ways to create the mc2 universe so you know it was another big missed opportunity to reintroduce comics to the mass market through those big chain stores. It just never happened the way it was supposed to happen.
0: It's rough. So you mentioned that uh, you kind of keep up with newer comics a little bit. You were talking about the new Amazing Spider-Man and stuff. Right. Um, right. Do you have an opinion on – how events have changed now, because something that we always talk about, uh, especially within uh, the past few years, is it feels like you know with Marvel and stuff that an event it, it's not just like one storyline now. You have to go out and you have to find all the tie-ins, and there's like at least right. nine tie-ins you're gonna have to go out and find. Some of them don't mean anything, and some of them do mean stuff. So. It's really like, do you have an opinion now? Because I know when you did your amazing uh, Spider-Man run originally back in the 80s, it went through both Secret Wars 1 and Secret Wars 2, but that was a— it, that wasn't as big of a monster back then. But now you have something like Secret Empire where it's not even done and we probably have like 40-plus comics that you have to read that are tied into the event. Oh,
4: I, I think it's wrong. I, I mean, if you have to read them, then it's wrong. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and if, if you feel like you have to read them, then, then I don't feel they're doing their job as storytellers. Because, uh, yeah, back in the day, they weren't the monsters they were. You're absolutely right. I mean, for Secret Wars, we had like one thing that – The plan was, you know, between the issue where they disappear and the issue they come back, you have one major change. In our case, it was the black suit. And it hopefully makes people curious to go ahead and read Secret Wars, which apparently it worked. But you didn't need to read Secret Wars to understand what was going on with Spider-Man. You went to another planet, he got this suit, and now he was having trouble with these suits, you know, with this suit. Uh, so it was more controlled, and there was more of a craft involved. Uh, you see, that's the thing. Anything I say about modern comics is kind of like comparing apples and oranges as far as trying to compare it to what we used to do, because at some point in the last 15, 20 years or so, comics became art. When I was working in the 80s and up through the 90s, Uh, The transition had begun, but uh, don't get me wrong. I think comics are a fantastic art form, but comics are a craft form, okay? Comics work and function best as a craft with objective levels of what works and what doesn't. And, you know, the best way to explain it is, you know, you can have a belt that is a beautiful piece of leather craft and is a, an incredible work of art okay But if it doesn't have the little holes and the prong and it holds your pants up it ain't a belt okay you can have uh, a beautiful piece of woodwork, a beautiful cabinet that's a piece of woodwork but if the doors don't open and you can't hang something in it it's not a cabinet okay there's a function that is involved in creating this art, okay? It is art with function. And if, you know, just grinding your own axe and telling a story that goes on for 12 issues and meanders and doesn't have a point at the end of it and all this, it's, it's not functioning. It's, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we're trying to sell these things to an audience, okay? And art exists for its own sake. Okay, and and another way for me to kind of describe what I'm talking about is at one point Tom DeFalco did a book called um, uh, uh, What is What is It Called? Uh, Comic Creators on the Amazing Spider-Man. Okay, where he interviewed everybody from Stanley up through uh, Straczynski uh, on the Spider-Man character and working on the Spider-Man character, artists and writers alike, and all this. And it was a, a, a terrific book, but what was fascinating to me as I'm reading the, these interviews, uh, that you know, when you when you read uh, Stan Lee's and Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway and, and uh, Marv Wolfman, and Len Wein, all these different writers, they spoke about finding Peter's voice, getting his voice right. Okay. But at some point, you know, as the 80s become the 90s and everything, the writer's attitude changes to writing their Peter Parker. Well, my Peter Parker is this, or my take on Peter Parker is this. When before that Terminator line, it was all about finding Peter Parker, getting Peter Parker right, as established by Stan and finding, you know, finding his correct voice and writing Peter Parker well, correctly, okay? As if there were an objective, correct way to write Peter Parker, which in a craft, there is a correct way to make a belt. There is a correct way to make a cabinet, okay? These days, it's not that. These days it is hire a writer to do their take on this character to the point of sometimes completely retelling the origin and completely not holding them to, you know, uh, continuity. And I mean, there was there was one head of Marvel creative at one point who said he never wants continuity to get into the way of a good story. At that point, continuity was blown to royal hell, and I'm still waiting for the story that was worth that.
1: Why do I think because, of Secret Empire all of a
4: sudden? I... Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's there's probably plenty of examples before that. But (laughs) the bottom line is, in my personal opinion, as a fan, I have not seen the story that was worth losing that amazingly wonderful, cohesive – because it's not even about continuity, it's about consistency. And and I I, – you know, back when they were publishing the Handbook of the Marvel Universe – you know, even they were even contacting the creative people, and they were saying, you know, we have all of these different, we're now cataloging all of these different alien races that have, that have been introduced into the Marvel Universe. For the time being, could you not just arbitrarily create a new alien race? Use one of these. That would be cool. <laughs> you know, and, they, and it was, it was, a, it was a, the best sandbox in the world to play in you know, because the, the, the story ideas were limitless. It's not like they were saying you have to write this. I'm telling you to write this. I'm not trying to say that at all. You, you had you know an, an incredible uh, potential to take stories in any direction you wanted to take. Nobody was trying to limit creativity, but you were being given the most fantastic sandbox in the history of creative fiction. And I, I, i don't understand why that wasn't enough for people i uh, really really don't
2: yeah you make a really good point everyone's got to make some kind of controversial change or completely flip the script on what's um what's happening in you know an issue ago uh just because it's a new there, there's team. a
4: line from what's the line from uh the movie with john Candy and steve martin uh where they're trying to get home for thanksgiving what's that called uh,
0: planes trains and automobiles
4: Planes, trains, and automobiles. And there's a classic line from that where, where Steve Martin says to John Candy, here's a thought when you tell these stories, have a point! <laughs> and what drives me crazy is, you know, one of the coolest things, one of the most rewarding things to write in any fiction is the ending. Now, there can be mm-hmm. a chafing pain in the ass, but the payoff is what it's all about. And they roll now from epic to epic to epic. None of these stories ever end. Yeah. Give give your reader the reward that the reader gets for investing in this story should be an ending. Well I this mean the story needs to have a point. Real life doesn't <laughs> have a point. More now than ever. Yeah. But stories always should fiction should always have a point.
2: Yeah, they, Um, I mean, the stories that, that do have endings, it's always like, all right, now everything's back to the way it was before this huge, huge, massive change that we just made you read for 20 issues. And um, pretend none of it ever happened. The Cosmic Cube erased it all. And um, back to what we were... Back to your schedule. Yeah, occasionally,
4: or they're so afraid of the ending that it rolls mm-hmm. right into the next epic. Yeah, yeah. You know, both Marvel and DC have been guilty of that. You know, that oh, yeah. they're so afraid of... Losing what sales blip they might have gotten from this epic that that they just want to they, they want to convince you that you have to keep reading because it rolls into the next epic and there's a lot of that thinking going on and you know Secret Wars ended and then a year or so later they had a sequel you know but those stories they need to end <laughs> I mean yeah there's nothing more satisfying on the planet for me than, you know, cause we used, we did our share during the, bi, we would go biweekly during the summers for several years on Thor, And, you know, so DeFalco and I would play with doing longer uh, story forms, you know, and, uh, and run like tail, he would run tales of Asgard in the back and those would tie into the main branch of the story. And we, you know, we would go biweekly and do, six issue arcs and things like that that weren't you know that's not something we would necessarily normally do because our big thing is if you do a six issue arc each individual issue still has to be a complete story or you're failing your readership i mean with spider girl uh when we went to the amazing spider girl and they were collected as uh, trade paperbacks I was actually I'm very actually quite proud of them as paperback volumes because we knew they were going to be collected like six at a time for paper for for trade paperbacks. So we would write a six-issue arc that as six issues tells one story, but each individual issue also tells you a complete story. So that if you choose to, you know, only read one chapter You're still getting a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. But thematically, there are things that connect as the arc that you get to the end of the the trade paperback, and you have not just an ending to that story, but an ending to the arc as well. And and that's good craft. DeFalco is a terrific craft writer. That's who he is. He can't do it any other way. And uh, I, I think there's a sad lack of that these days. You know, I think a lot, and in many cases, it I think it comes from the fact that a lot of these writers are fans turned pros uh, who are just having a really, really great time. Right. i I think one of the things that contributes is that the editors don't wield the control that their that their job demands. I mean, editors are supposed to be part of the creative process. Editors aren't just supposed to be traffic managers. They're supposed to be reining in their writers and saying, okay, but where's this go? What's the point? They're supposed to be challenging the writer mm-hmm. at every turn to make sure that the story is valid, to make sure that the story has a point and, and is going to entertain the audience and pays off. You know, that's part of the editor's job. And I, I've been fortunate enough to work with some terrific editors that, that – took their job seriously and did that
1: i agree with you i've always saw the editor positions you know the guy that's supposed to be on the creative team like you said but also the bad guy the one that says hey what are you doing here maybe you need to do it this way or you know the guy that basically says you're doing it wrong or occasionally yeah yeah, you're doing it fine but it seems to me these days, yeah no they're not doing that it's like hey yeah great job all right we got this celebrity or this person doing this issue great (laughs) let's let them do whatever the heck they want and Run. Run with it, and we'll do a hundred number one variants for it.
4: <laughs> just like... anybody who's who's in a creative endeavor should have to justify to someone, the editor, why, you know, especially with the fact that you're you're in comics, you're writing characters that you don't own. You know, you're you're just a steward of that character for however long you're on the book. Yeah. You know, there's there's a larger responsibility. I mean that's because I, I, you know, at the age I am, and as long as I've been around in comics, I talk to a lot of guys who grew up in, with comics, who grew up with my work in some cases, mm-hmm. you know, having been in the business for 30 years, and and you have these conversations with people who think, you know, you know, Spider Girl should have just been the real continuity, and they should have let Pete age and all that kind of stuff, and I don't, I don't think that at all. I mean, I I love doing Spider Girl. I never thought Spider Girl needed to be you know, uh, anything more than what it was, because they're all stories, okay? (laughs) I don't care if it's the real future of the Marvel Universe or not, because the future of the Marvel Universe hasn't happened yet, and somebody will come up with a better idea by the time it does. The point of Spider-Girl, it was simply that, remember that uh, couple with the upside-down kiss in that Spider-Man movie that Mm -hmm. everybody saw? Well, they finally got married and had a kid, and this is her story. That's it. I don't care what year it's supposed to be in. I, you know, it was always editors that would put like years on little newspapers on splash pages and stuff, and it's like, stop doing that. <laughs> we don't care what year it is. We don't care that it's a a, a, a parallel universe in the Marvel Universe started in 1960. No, it's not. Pete's not that old. Come on. So it, it's just quantifying all of that is It's pointless. But, you know, these people that want their characters to grow old with them, that's selfish. That's ridiculous. I mean, look, look at the popularity of Homecoming now. An entire generation of, of teenagers are now responding to Peter Parker the same way teenagers did back in the 60s when he broke the mold and wasn't a sidekick anymore. He was the mm-hmm. star of the book. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we don't own these characters. We just rent them while we're reading them. Yeah, you I know, think... they're not ours.
2: The you mentioned Spider-Man and it's it's going to be kind of weird, especially trying to get people to read comics. You think the movies would be a good way, but if someone picks up a comic now, Peter's like finished university and he's got his PhD and he's running his own company. It's oh Tony Stark now he's, it, he's yeah basically he's, he's running <laughs> yeah. Parker Industries basically yeah. yeah. So it's uh, there's that disconnect there that I also think doesn't really help sure. comic sales. Sure. Out. I
4: mean when when the Raimi movies were coming out, I would have told everybody you know pick up a. An essential Spider-Man that, that, that had the Ramita, the yeah. Romita Mooney stuff, you know, where he was rooming with Harry and he was in college and all that kind of stuff. And you'll recognize that more, you know. But, no, I don't disagree with that. But that kind of, you know, I, I don't think Marvel should live for for that kind of backflow either because I don't think that backflow is happening anymore. I don't think it's been happening for for a long time, you know. Uh, when I shared Studio Space with uh, Pat Olive, to drop another name, Uh, We used to do school talks, and these kids would know the characters inside and out. We're going, oh, my God, this is incredible. They're reading the books. No, they're not. They're collecting the cards. (laughs) (laughs) They're reading the profiles on the backs of the trading cards. That's how these kids knew these characters inside and out. But if you asked them if they read the books, they would go, no. (laughs) So, you know, even then we were, you know. Yeah. foiled again what can i tell you you know, <laughs> you know they make books about these characters too who cares we're collecting the cards you know that kind of thing. Yeah. we have the underoos we have the uh you know the computer games we have all the other branding we don't we, who cares about the comic books you know yeah. but kids it's it's not that kids won't read harry potter was pretty damn oh, popular yeah. yeah so i you know i I don't, I don't know i i'm that's way above my pay grade <laughs> how to fix the industry uh you know, there are certain things that, in my opinion, were I given that kind of power, I would try to angle things for... I, it would, What kills me is, have you ever seen when somebody does, like, a these, these terrific montages, and it even happened with uh, with Spider-Girl to a degree, but in uh, the, the anniversaries they'll do these little montages where they'll run all the covers from, you know, the first 100 issues or, you know, whatever,
2: yeah, you know, 500
4: yeah. issues, whatever. And you see these little grids, you can see the abuse of computer coloring mm. happened to the book. Because you can, as small as they are, you can make out the images on the first several years of any comic, and mm-hmm. then sometime yeah. in the late 80s and 90s, it all becomes a muddy mess. <laughs> and it's, what the heck are we thinking? You know? I, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but again, you know, I'm I'm an old man screaming in the wilderness.
2: Um, you mentioned you oh, mentioned. No, oh no, it's okay. I've been I've been hogging the mic.
3: Go well, on. I just so have a tap. quick question. Kind of going back to uh, to hard covers and and collected editions, I should say. Um, myself and Mike, we're we're big hardcover collectors, and you know they have the Amazing Spider-Man Stan Lee stuff. One volumes one, two, and three, like up through like a, I think issue 104. And then they don't have anything until the Roger Stern stuff, and then they have the Michelini stuff. So your yours and Defalco stuff is there's a kind of a gap in there. So right. my question is is do you guys do you know is Marvel planning on doing, you know, a Defalco friends omnibus? I have or... no idea.
4: I have I have no idea. I I would tend to think our Thor stuff was not scanned uh, for digital until much later, uh, I, you know, they, they were doing the, uh, when they were doing the Marvel digital stuff originally, they they did a lot of the original Lee Kirby stuff. And then they like skipped to the Dia stuff after us. And it was, you know, what? <laughs> okay. <Why? laughs> um, and they only started doing some of that when the Thor movie came out, they started scanning some of our stuff for, uh, for trade paperbacks and everything. Um, so I have no idea. No, I, to answer your question, I have no idea what they're planning on how they. I, I I was very disappointed because I'm I love the essentials, and I know that they had to ultimately at some point they're going to have to stop the essentials because they weren't in black and white plates anymore once they went digital, and I know for certain books they were getting pretty far pretty fast, but on Spider Man the last black and white essential Spider Man had The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man in it. The next volume would have had probably 252 on the cover and would have been almost the complete run of DeFalco Friends because we were only on the book for like two years, two and a half years. And so the next essential volume would have been mine. And it, that's when they canceled them.
2: Wow.
4: Uh, and now they did do start doing... Not only the epic collections, but they started doing, uh, they did a two volume black costume saga trade paperback, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's very, that's wonderful. And I guess I should just be happy with that and shut my mouth. But believe me, I, I was really looking forward to having my entire run of Spider Man from the black and white plates uh, collected, you know, so they'd be there for easy reference and such. And uh, that would have been cool. And I'm never going to get to see my Thor stuff. Uh, in black and white, in, in an essential volume, uh, and I'm disappointed uh, with that to tell you the truth. But uh, because at that point, we hadn't gone digital yet, so there should be black and white plates of all that stuff, you know yeah, uh, And the color stuff, now they're just shooting it off the color films or whatever, and it makes for very garish color back because it's being done on higher quality paper and it it doesn't have the you know the 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 pulp ink soaking in real nice and a little more subtle so a lot of the the screen stuff is like very bright and garish in the in the new reprints and then I, I don't like it as much as the original stuff you know so uh you know i i'm glad that it's staying in circulation i don't know to what degree as far as hard covers or anything that i you know i don't foresee I mean, I'm really glad when they were doing those visionary trade paperbacks and, they, and yeah. Roger Stern got one and, you know, a lot of people who really, really deserve to be recognized got a lot of that stuff. Uh, I don't believe they ever did one for DeFalco. I, I believe he deserves one. And, and it may be because we were only on Spider-Man for, you know, for two and a half years. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, we're just – we we, we <laughs> like I said, we got – we, we took the long way around to anything approaching legend status because we just showed up every month. <laughs> I mean, you, you get to be a legend just by showing up and being a part of people's reading habits and being a part of somebody's childhood and being a part of somebody's memory, which is worth its weight in gold. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, and it's very touching, and, and uh, I'm very humbled and flattered by that as i said before but uh, you know i that's it we showed up we showed up and we told some stories and it's it's enough that people enjoyed them
3: well we greatly appreciate it that's for sure
4: Um, and i thank you for that
3: one of the last questions that i have is uh in regards to your superman run um in the 90s superman in the 90s was primarily known for his mullet and so I guess I got my my question for you is drawing Superman when I as well. It, was that something that like you had to kind of follow suit with because that's what everybody else was doing, or was it like a thing oh, yeah. where it's like this is the style, and I guess we'll just roll with it? No,
4: he had the mullet when he came when he came back from uh, from the dead. He had yep. the mullet, so that was from before I was there. He still had it when I got there. He cut it during the time I was there. What was interesting is that the decision for him to cut his hair. Uh, was somehow last minute or I don't know what the decision-making process was, but there was uh, one of my issues. He was penciled with the mullet and he was inked with the mullet. And then they had to go in and correct the artwork and cut his hair. So (laughs) with, with the way those books were coordinated, I don't know why that happened. I don't know how that happened. I don't know what the backstory was on that, but it was the issue that guest starred the Legion that, uh, he 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 got a haircut sometime in production. You know, I mean and it's like, Okay, so we're not drawing long hair anymore. I'm fine with that too, you know. Uh I didn't hate it, but it it I understand why it stands out, you know. Uh yeah. Eric Masterson had a had a mullet. Uh mostly because I, I had one for the very, very brief time they were actually in style. <laughs> and, you know it's one of those things it's like the the shoulder pads that you know and mm-hmm. everything I mean, all this stuff in the 80s and 90s that we thought was going to be around for forever because you never when you're in the middle of it you don't realize this isn't going to last you know what i mean yes uh, yeah yeah I mean, john ramita jr god love him he always kept pete's style current uh because jr was a well-dressed young guy and uh you know, and he gave Pete longer hair, and he gave him the, the jackets with the broad shoulders and and the baggy pants, and that, and who knew all that was going to go away? You know, I mean it's, it's crazy. <laughs> oh.
2: So I wanted to ask uh, really quickly. We usually ask our anyone who's a creator that we have on the show. Um you mentioned earlier you picked up Amazing Spider-Man cuz of Stewart imminent, so i take it you follow comics based on the artists at this point. Um what do you wh- what books do you see yourself picking up usually?
4: I wow, that was see that was i was just reminded somehow online that Stu was doing the book and i'm a i've been a huge fan of his work since his stuff on Superman but he's evolved so much and and done some really different stuff the the what was the one book he did, Agents of, was it Agents of Hate or something like that? Uh, something, I, I forget. But uh, he, he got very graphic for a while, and I was just very curious to see what he was doing with it. Uh, but that was a very rare occasion for me. Um, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, I, I haven't been to a comic shop in quite a while, other than to buy some of my stuff from my childhood. You know, I, mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a comic shop that, that that moved, and he has all his back stock on the floor, mm-hmm. and he has long box after long box of you know stuff from the '60s, and I have been completely it, for for a few weeks I was completely obsessed with flipping through his long boxes and rebuying stuff I remember having when I was a kid that was you know read to pieces and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's. A lot of comics for me now is is just nostalgia. Uh, the the one book I'm read I'm following now that I love I, well anything Hellboy I still try to keep an eye on and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, Aftershock Comics is doing a book called Rough Riders that Pat Oliph has been doing the full illustration on, and he's just knocking it out of the park. Uh, and it's written by a gentleman named uh, Adam Glass that worked on. Um, supernatural on the writing staff of supernatural and a lot of other shows and uh i'm a huge supernatural fan and i so i tried it because of pat and really really enjoyed it i'm kind of waiting i think the fourth issue of the second series has come out so i'm kind of waiting until i have all six in my hands to read because the one thing that still breaks my heart about a about modern comics is they're over too fast (laughs) i mean i (laughs) i you don't often, unfortunately, even with the best comics these days, you're not really getting a full meal with a single comic. So yeah. uh, I, you know, I sometimes enjoy letting them collect on the shelf and then I buy them, you know, I would still buy the individual issues, but then I, I Binge read them. find more enjoyment and having the next chapter ready for me yeah. as I sit there and read them, you know. So, uh, I, I really, all I can say right now that I'm following is, is, uh, is Rough Riders. Um, you know, if, when I, when I, the next time I do go to a comic shop, I'm going to look for that Justice League fill-in that DeFalco wrote, and I, I, DeFalco sends me a box every once in a while with a bunch of the Archie stuff, because he's still on the Archie comp list. So I've been reading some of the newer Archie stuff, the Josie and the Pussycats, and, uh, and the, uh, is it Mark Wade that's doing Archie now? I you know yeah, I've read a lot of I that. I believe
2: so. it's him, yeah.
4: Yeah. And, uh, and I've enjoyed it to one degree or another. I have my opinions. They're just mine, you know, opinions. I don't know how much do you edit this stuff? Opinions are like assholes, you know. Everybody's <laughs> yeah, got everybody's one. Everybody's got one. Most yep. of them yeah. you know. So, uh, my opinions, it should in no way, you know, sway anybody, really. <laughs> uh, but, uh. I, I miss it. I, I'm, there have been times over the last several years, I mean, without naming names, I mean, at one point, I went in and I bought some comics when Spider-Girl was still being printed, and I would go out and pick up the new Spider-Girl and, and then, you know, look at the racks and pick up some stuff. And at one point, I remember coming out to my car, and I was flipping through the stuff I had just bought, and I, and I read an article about the new team that was starting on Fantastic Four. And I went... That sounds good. <laughs> you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. go back in to the store and pick up those books. So I picked up a couple of them and uh, took them home and read them and just did not enjoy them at all. <laughs> I mean, there was not near enough story. There, there were the, I didn't even recognize the characters. Wow. Ben yeah. Grimm was hitting on women and they were responding, like, because he was famous. And they wanted to say they <laughs> had sex with a thing or something, and and somehow Reed Richards was considered Mister Fantastic because he was the smartest, most handsomest man on the planet, and it's like what? <laughs> and Johnny Storm wanted to start a band, and he was like a male Parrot Hilton or something, and I'm like, I didn't even recognize these characters. Wow. And so I was sorry that I spent the money. You know, I, it, it's just it's. It's really tough. I mean, it, I, the, the Spider-Man that I bought, I, I like I said, I loved what uh, you know. Stu Immonen's an incredible illustrator, but they also happened. I didn't even know this when I bought them. They're also bringing. They also brought Silver Sable back from the dead, uh, which uh, nobody really thought she was dead. But uh, you know, she supposedly died in one big epic with Doctor Octopus, and and now she's back. and you know having been one of silver stables' daddies that was kind of cool to see and it was neat to see Stu drawing her you know that kind of thing but i wasn't surprised they brought her back one because nobody ever dies and two because yeah. they're actually talking about making a movie about her now too so mm-hmm. they may be, she may even get a new mini series or something not that not that they're going to call it the Falco and i to do it but you know <laughs>
3: uh. All right, anybody got any so, more questions?
4: I don't know. We covered Spider-Man. We kind of covered Thor. We covered Superman. Yeah, there's really, you know, we even touched on MC2, so, you know. Yeah, we got, we, we, yeah we no, you've been a pleasure to speak now.
3: with. We yeah. took you a while tonight, so we apologize yeah. if you had plans. But No, played. no,
4: I, I believe me, I, I spent the day I, knowing I had to be back here by 9. It's not a problem. I, I can talk comics until I'm blue in the face. You know, mostly you need to tell me to shut up.
1: So, <laughs> well, in that case, let's keep rolling.
4: Though, <laughs> if you have more questions, man, I'm I'm game. Don't worry about it.
2: Um, well, I just wanted to really, really quickly ask um, any upcoming projects that you can talk about that you yeah. feel comfortable enough talking about now. Because I, I read a Bleeding oh, Cool yeah. article like a year ago about you and you and Tom working on a secret project, stuff like that, so I don't know if there's... Uh... Never
4: happened. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, that one that he was referring to, because I called him and I said, what are you doing? He said, there, there is so much of a chance that this is not going to happen. And he goes, well, you know, we'll end up doing something together, and we'll just say that, that was the secret project. And I said, You're, what are you doing? And it turned out that what he was talking about did not happen. It was something with Archie, and it, and it didn't oh, happen. Okay. You know. uh, so, you know, we still talk about trying to work together at some point but uh that hasn't presented itself what i'm working on now is uh a character called the blue baron for an outlet called sit comics that is available digitally now uh through Comicsology and a few other places but he's he and he has test marketed the first issue he did a print run of the first issue and he's test marketed it and it's available digitally on Comixology and I think on a couple other websites, too. I'm not positive. Uh, and you can find out about it at sitcomics.net as far as even possibly. I, still, I think he still has copies to mail, uh, for mail order. But uh, the I believe the third chapter of the second issue is going to go live at some point here relatively quickly. But at some point, these are all going to be rolled out as a new line of comics to comic shops uh, we're hoping at some point next year the gentleman who's doing it his name is darren henry and he is a comedy writer hence the name sit comics he's a comedy writer who has worked on everything from seinfeld to projects with the disney channel to projects over in england and all this kind of stuff currently he is the executive producer and uh, one of the writers on KC Undercover, starring Zendaya, who, of course, it all ties into Spider Man <laughs> Homecoming.
2: But hmm.
4: uh, he's been working on that, and they're doing another season of that. But, uh, you know, he is on the side. He's his own little Stan Lee, writing all these different books. Uh, some of them are humor books. Some of them, are, there's a couple of uh, monster titles, and, and there's going to be a series of superhero titles. And, uh, He latched onto me because he tried to hire Sal Buscema to pencil his book. He's a huge child of the 70s, and he wants to do very, you know, uh, all audiences type of stuff. Uh, He's got a terrific writing voice. I I love the characters. I love the humor that's inherent in the situations, and, and I think he does a wonderful job. I'm real proud of the first issue, having seen it in print. And uh, can't wait for everybody to get a chance to see this stuff. I'm currently working on the third issue, and they're they're huge. Uh, online, they're being they're being uh, shown as three chapters, uh, which are around 19 or 20 pages, somewhere between 19 and 20, 22 pages. But they will be collected as what he is calling binge books, <laughs> that are like 50 some pages of comics for like. Uh, I believe he's he's looking to do them like three ninety nine, four ninety nine, something like that. So, yeah. you know, and quarterly, and uh, the, you know, yeah, I think it's the plan at this point. Wow. Uh, as he start when he starts to roll out next year, he's going to do the humor books first because there aren't a lot of those out there, and uh, and then at some point he's going to start rolling out the superhero titles. And I've helped him, you know, he brought me on board because Sal doesn't pencil anymore, so Sal did, said said uh, call Ron Friends and I'll ink it. Um, and he was aware of my work on spider girl and, and my stuff in the, in the eighties. And so he gave me a call and I signed on and we've been, he's an incredibly creative mind. He, he sends me all this disparate reference with this idea for a new supervillain. And it's a wonderful exercise for me to take all that reference and to bring it all together and get it to gel as a character and, and, uh, so he's wildly creative, and he has a very, you know, fresh voice, and and uh, I've been very happy with the work, and can't wait for everybody to see it. But uh, it may still be a little bit of a wait. But when we do start rolling out, it's not going to be, you know, haphazard and everything. He's waiting to have a lot of stuff in the can so we can roll it out in a sane way that people can enjoy. <laughs> Yeah. So that's that's taking up a lot of my time at this point, plus I, I do a lot of commissions and everything. I, I still o- occasionally will do, you know, like we, we were asked to do the Spider Girl backups for Spider Island, and that was a lot of fun. I did a backup for, or a f- uh, fill-in, uh, an inventory for The Flash that <laughs> I don't know where it, when it's going to see print because it was one of these situations where, of course, an inventory should be given to some inker that's not working on a regular book so it can be done and sitting in the drawer waiting to be used it was written by Defalco and uh, and I penciled it and but apparently Danny Mickey who is like currently working on a lot of high profile yeah. projects he saw the pencils and I'm flattered that he wanted to ink it but you know he's taking a while to <laughs> ink it because he has other projects that are taking precedent so we've kind of defeated the purpose of it being an inventory, and I don't know when it might see print, but it was—it's a you know single-issue story, uh, uh, done in one flash episode. That uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I actually had when the New 52 started, I had gotten some work doing layouts for different projects for uh, for DC for some of the newer younger guys. Uh, I think it's, it was a way for them to keep costs down by paying us a flat fee for the layouts and then paying them less than they would have to pay me per page or what they feel they have to pay me or something. And, and, and it kind of, I I think there are still certain titles that are still doing that. I don't know if the layout guys are getting credits or not these days. There was some question about if you gave them a credit, they had to be, they had to get part of the royalty and, or the incentive and, and all this. And so I, I never, I don't know how that finally panned out. But anyway, uh, so there's a Flash inventory out there that I did that's going to be inked by Danny Mickey that should be interesting when it finally sees print, wherever it sees print. Um, I'm, I don't have anything else like published that's waiting to come out or anything like that. Uh, and you know, if Marvel of DC wants to give me a call for, for fill-ins, that would be great. I mean, I was called to do layouts on a Batman job. And wasn't able to take it because I was busy with other work and the deadline was too tight. But um, you know, so I still occasionally will get phone calls from people. But uh, I haven't done anything all that recently. I've just been surviving on commissions and uh, working on Blue Baron. So uh, awesome. that's about it. I am on Facebook now. I, I will make posts every couple of days, talking about uh, you know different projects and running pencils and uh, and finished. Inks and colors on different covers and pages, and we'll occasionally talk about some of the work I've done over the years. Uh, that's only been going on since the end of last, or since the beginning of this year. I guess it was like February or March of this year I started. I joined Facebook and started doing that as kind of a place to, uh, you know, when things finally do start rolling out for sitcomics, Comics, I'll hopefully have some eyes on the Facebook page to let people know when it's going to be out and when to look for it and all that. For sure, yeah. Very cool. But so that I, keeps that keeps you a little busier than I thought it would. <laughs> actually, you know, coming up with posts and posting things in the mornings and all oh and like yeah, that. that's, that's just
2: Facebook too. There's no uh, yeah. So Twitter, Twitter and Instagram, everything. and all these other yeah. food. no.
4: I I I'm, I resist <laughs> embracing the uh, social media that much. I yeah. I'm one of those guys. that I'm just old enough that I walk around and I, I was in a an outdoor car show today with a, uh, with a dear friend and the people that were walking around looking at their phones was just, it still looks so ridiculous to me that, I mean, one guy barely noticed the steps he was going down off the bus before he started looking at his phone again. And uh, really, I mean, is he a brain surgeon? Is he talking somebody through a major operation or something? What the hell? Mm-hmm. So I, that I don't get. But uh, I still have an old flip phone just for emergencies, you know that oh. kind of thing. So, if, if I have a feeling Facebook is going to be it for me for the for the duration. So.
0: Keep it that way; it gets way too consuming. Just uh, we try to do it all with the social media and stuff, and that's just between the four of us, it's hard enough. So, props yeah, to you for you. keeping it on Facebook.
4: <laughs> I, I hear you. I mean, I started out you know doing a couple of posts a day because it was new and exciting and and then i i, I, I told myself oh, i'll try to get something fresh up you know every day uh, and now it's every day and a half every other day you know every two days something like that uh, because uh, i'm not that interesting <laughs> i mean it's it's been it, what has been fascinating is seeing what people respond to and you know again, I this is be the third time I've come back to this uh, as a theme, but what I've noticed that people respond to the most is the nostalgia of whatever it is I'm putting up. Mm-hmm. And their memory of it, you know I remember buying that at the seven eleven down by my grandparents, or I still have that issue, or that was a favorite of mine, whatever it is, that seems to be the majority of the of the responses and the likes that you get on any given post. I mean, anytime I've gotten, you know, anytime I've, I've been foolish enough to think that people are interested in me. And I would, I I did a post at one point about some of the first comics work I ever did. that wasn't for Marvel or DC. It was for a, a magazine that was published locally here called Questar that was published by two guys here out of Pittsburgh. And I did a black and white comics, uh, Story for them, and it was the first real continuity I did that was published that other people saw, and all of that. Uh, I did a little, you know, I, I published, uh, I, I went ahead and posted all of the pages and and told a little backstory on it and everything. Crickets, nothing, <laughs> you know. I mean, there was almost no interest in it at all. So I. Realized that oh, it's not about me at all. <laughs> it's about the characters. It's about the work that I've you know contributed to these characters. The next thing I put up was the giant foot coming in at the uh, the first chapter of uh, the Celestial Saga with Thor, and boom, you know I got likes at the Wazoo. Mm, yeah. So it is a it's about the work. It's about the characters. It's not about me. And once you understand that, <laughs> you 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 get over yourself and you get on with it you know so it's but it's it's wonderful to be a part of people's fond memory from you know from thirty years ago from from their youth i mean it's it's terrific it's it, there's nothing better there's nothing better
0: so I have to ask this because you brought up – because you brought up – you're mainly doing – you're doing commissions and stuff. Uh, What cons are you going to be coming out to um, in the near future if you are? And um, how can someone get a commission from you?
4: Uh, Well, commissions are through a website called CatskillComics.com. There's a terrific guy named Scott Kress who runs it. And uh, he is my rep when it comes to uh, original art commissions. Of course, there's not a lot of original art these days. Uh, most of it's been picked over. But uh, you know, you're welcome. Everybody is welcome to go to the CatskillComics.com website, and uh, there, there I have a page on that, and there are uh, you know uh, prices there for for the different levels, and uh, and and Scott is. Uh, very professional and, and handles the page incredibly well. You can contact him through the website, and he'll get back to you as soon as humanly possible and uh, get you set up. Uh, I really don't do a lot of shows these days. I'm kind of saving up my energy for when Sitcomics rolls out, uh, and then uh, I probably will start doing more shows. Uh, because these days, you know, the shows I like doing the smaller shows, but driving to and from a show. It's not even driving to the show. It's driving from the show. <laughs> it, that is an incredibly depressing, tiring part of the entire interaction. That that makes it difficult. Uh, I'm doing an Akron con at, in November. The first uh, the first end of November. I think it's the fourth and fifth with Tom DeFalco. Uh, in Akron, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. I've done that show before. It's a bunch of terrific people, and it's a, it's a great show. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't have anything else uh, you know, solid on the schedule. One of the other projects I've been working on was for a, a woman in Memphis who wanted to create a, a, a superhero character uh, based on her Uh, loosely based on her life story and her uh, personal uh, challenges and her personal victories uh, in in her personal philosophy of finding your yes. And uh, so she wanted to come up with a character. uh, She had written a a self-affirmation book called um, From Barefoot to Stilettos, It's Not for Sissies. And she wanted to create a character based around her the stiletto thing. You know that the, I was it was news to me that it, stilettos can be a symbol of empowerment for for women. I, I was unaware of that. <clears throat> and uh, so I was contacted by a friend of mine, a dear dear friend, who has also done writing for Moonstone Comics and has done some other writing. And uh, he was contacted by her initially, and he put together a team of me and Keith Williams, who used to work with John Byrne and has worked on newspaper strips for years and years and years. Uh, He's inking the project, and uh, another gentleman who did a lot of work for Moonstone, Bill Hallier, is coloring and lettering it. And we ended up doing a 50-some page graphic novel for her that I believe is going to see print sometime early next year. But uh, she closed a deal with a Spanish-language magazine because the, the character... Uh, has uh, some Latina in her, and uh, closed the deal with a Spanish language magazine, where we're doing three panel, we're doing fourteen three panel strips, and telling a, uh, you know, telling a self-contained story of Stiletto uh, for for this magazine, and uh, so that's one of the other things I'm working on, and at some point I believe there is talk. That we're supposed, sometime towards the end of the year, we're supposed to be doing a convention in Memphis to help push Stiletto. Hmm. But I haven't heard confirmation on that or anything. So uh, mostly I do local shows. And like I said, Akron with, is within driving distance. I love doing the shows. I, I do sketches there and uh, try to keep busy and talk to the fans. And and uh, I, I still enjoy them, but they, they're more tiring than they were when I was in my 20s.
1: You
0: know what I mean? Yeah. Well.
4: Anything else, guys?
0: I was about to say, does anyone have any questions left?
3: Let's dig deep.
0: (laughs) You got something, Tap?
3: No, no, I'm good. This has been... just tapped out. (laughs) No, no, this has been awesome. Though I, I greatly appreciate the time you took. I definitely was not expecting to be able to talk to the great Ron friends for... 90 Minutes, this has been great. Oh,
4: please. (laughs) Please. Well, I'm going to have to hear this whole thing. I'm going to have to hear the round table that comes before this. I appreciate that, but that is is far too kind. Well, I
0: guess we're going to call it here because no one seems to have anything left to ask. But um, once again, we are deeply appreciative of you coming on the show. And uh, once you get anything else like going off the ground, or if you want to, you know, talk about anything else, always welcome to come back.
4: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, it's been terrific. I mean, you guys, uh, you have a, pro- a professional operation here, and I appreciate your uh, getting things set up as quickly as you did and being able to. Be nimble on your feet with lose, me losing the Skype and all that kind of jazz. It's uh, it's all very much appreciated, and uh, I'm very flattered to be asked to do these things. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank Thanks, you. It's been, it's been fantastic chatting with you.